0: It was just the best. It was so rewarding and fulfilling. And it made me no money. But I didn't
1: care. <laughs> Hello, Buddies. Welcome back to the Buddies podcast. My name is Kara. I'm a fiction editor, and this is a show about writing, editing and the friends you can make along the way just before we get started I do have a quick request if you enjoy listening to this show it would help me out immensely if you would leave a rating and a review on whatever podcasting apps you like and use it should only take you a couple minutes but it will really make a difference to help me grow my audience so thanks in advance if you do that and if not you know as my mother would say I'm not mad I'm just disappointed Moving on. Today's episode is brought to you by onomatopoeia. Uh, did I say that right? Onomatopoeic words. Words inspired by sound. Boom. Bang. Splash. Onomatopoeia is one of my favorite words to say and one of my least favorite to spell. But I have a trick. So you start with an O and then no, like oh no, why am I trying to spell this word? And then you just give up and Google it because Google knows better. You might be wondering, why am I talking so much about sound effect words? For this month's episode, I spoke with Chris Simon of IDW Comics. Chris's full title is, well, really long.
0: It used to be just group editor of collected editions, and then it became group editor of collected editions and original graphic novels. And then it became collected editions, graphic novels, and new initiatives because they wanted to add in like webtoons and stuff. And I wasn't doing foreign licensing, so there was also foreign licensing was in there.
1: I think that reflects her long experience with comics and also writing and editing in general. Her story is a window into this creative industry that is full of passion and starving artistry and sometimes really grouchy people. And it's just fascinating because it's something that I haven't known as much about, Um, but I know so many people who love comics and I know really incredible, beautiful stories are told through the medium of comics. So Chris brought a perspective that was so wonderful for me to hear. And I can't wait to share it all with you. Take a listen. I hope you love it.
0: I ended up as an editor because Um, I always loved writing and that was my major. And so I knew that I was either going to write or do something writing-related when I graduated. And my original dream was a children's book, you know, because it incorporated writing and drawing. That was my goal when I graduated. Um, But my husband was very involved in comics, and so he kind of sparked my interest because we were in the 90s and it was the image boom and all these amazing comics were coming out at the time. And so I got super sucked in to comic books and I just knew I wanted to be a part of it. It fit exactly what I wanted to do. And, and so I was like, you know what, this is this is it for me, I've, I've found it. And so I spent my time at conventions, submitting things, getting portfolio reviews with like my husband's artwork and like, you know, my writing and blah, blah, blah. and. Um, and we just kept getting rejected, 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 rejected to the point where they got to know me at image <laughs> because I kept submitting and, um, and then, yeah, they were like, you're the one we always reject. Right. Yes. Yeah.
1: Awesome. And
0: it was like, sorry, not this time. Oh, Chris, go mm. look next time. You know, like, like that. Oh. And, um, yeah. And so finally, um, I was hired on to do a book completely separate from my husband um called Small Gods and that was in 2000 I think 3 yeah it was 2003 and um it was with uh actually the guy who used to run Ozfest or Ozcon is that what it's called in Australia um he wrote a book called Small Gods and he hired me to be an editor and uh together we found an artist and we submitted and I got a very joyous email back of like, you did it, you did it, <laughs> you made oh it, this won, yeah, and I was so excited, and so, of course, it did, it, it went for a while, it went for over a year, and then we voluntarily decided to cancel it, um, because the numbers weren't where we wanted them to be, they were okay, but there was such a backlash when we canceled it ourselves, that we actually revived it, and brought it back for like a one-shot, and of course, Image let us do it, And it was so super fun. And um, while I was doing that, it was the time when um, Jim Valentino stepped down as publisher and Eric Larson took over. And so Jim decided he wanted to start up Shadowline and he said, do you want to be the editor in chief of Shadowline? And I said, yes. At that point I was freelance editing Hero Camp with Robbie Rodriguez and I was editing Small Gods. And um, I think when Jim brought everything back, he was long. I did Shadow Hawk for him. I did everything creator owned that Jim put out. So he put out a bunch. He put out one called The Intimidators. He put out Task Force One. He had a whole slew of stuff that he created and wrote. And we hired artists for, and I was the editor on that. And so I did that for I think it was like about seven years. And that's where I really learned everything there is to know about editing publishing like just from top to bottom, like that was, mm. it was a crash course. Like it was just me and him just doing it. Oh, all. Oh, wow. So yeah, because image is like all self-sufficient. So, you know, yes, you know, they print it for you, but everything else, like the pre-press, post-press, everything is, is just all hands-on. So I learned literally everything during that time.
1: So give me an idea of what your kind of, day to day, like how much like actual editing were you doing versus how much of the like were you shepherding the process?
0: Yes. So I was doing all the editing. I had about 12 books at any given time, which was back then a lot. Yeah. Now it's not really a lot, but back then it was a lot. And um but when
1: you say 12 books, you're not talking about like novel length. You're talking about like titles that you were in charge of
0: the time. Yeah. And they were all coming out at different times and we worked months ahead And we would go through submissions once a month and accept or reject. And, um, and basically, yeah, it was full editing of every single series plus shepherding, you know, just, you know, what, what is it that they call that trafficking? They call it trafficking. Um, so yeah, working with the production designers at image and going to conventions, doing portfolio reviews, all that stuff. It
1: was all, all there. Wow. So when you say it was like a crash course, what do you feel like were kind of the biggest things you had to learn like right away? Um,
0: I think it was, well, first of all, I was never like involved in the technical aspects of comics. And so, um, you know, and Jim had been, he'd been doing it his whole life. And so essentially what he taught me was uh, the format of comics, which is, you know, the Z format of the way your eye reads and how every page is a cliffhanger, you know, and then you have the page turn, you know, like everything like that that I was not really familiar with, but um, new as a reader, because you read it, you know, but you don't really focus on it. Mm -hmm. And so it was more than just, you know, making sure that you have, you know, the right amount of dialogue in a balloon and that the balloon's not covering anything like that. And it's going in the Z pattern, but it was it was very much um, like, you know, him over my shoulder being like, no, this is how it has to go. Like, you have to do it like this, this, and this, this is the way comics are made. This is the way it flows. And this is, you know, you always want to start off with a bang. You don't start off like a novel where it's slow and it builds up. You always start with the big moment and then, there's the pacing and it goes up and down, up and down. So it's like, you know, the highs and the lows, highs and the lows, and then you end on on the high and you start on the high, you know, and it's like cliffhanger, boom, you know, it was very technical. So um, yeah, I learned all of that, you know, and it was um, not so much like him, like telling me specifics, it was him writing the scripts and him telling me what to look out for. So it was like, we would get in these scripts He'd be like, this is all messed up. And I was like, my mom read okay. And he was like, absolutely not. You know, this isn't read okay at all. Like, are you kidding me? And he'd point out what was wrong. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah.
1: So Wow. Yeah. Well, how wonderful though, to have like a mentor that was like ready to like pass all that information on to you.
0: Mm-hmm. Which he always hated, by the way, he never wanted to be called a mentor ever.
1: Really? <laughs> really. He was <laughs> he just not-
0: the dude, the dude showing you stuff. <laughs> I guess, you know, it was more like, um, I don't know, like I hired you for a reason, like you're good. And so just trust it, you know, just trust mm. the process kind of a thing. And sure, he would tell me where I screwed up, but like also, you know, he wasn't really that nice. Like yeah, anyone who knows from Valentino, like he's outward facing nice, but like in reality, he's like, he's really grumpy. And so um, he probably won't listen to this, so I don't care. Um, but <laughs> yeah, he was like kind of mean. Like, if you did it wrong, you really got yelled at.
1: <laughs> I will say, like, I have noticed an exceptional amount of grouchy people in the comics industry <laughs> compared <laughs> to some of the others in the media sphere.
0: Do you know? Do you, have you seen that? Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of my time after I left Image was repairing relationships with people. Really? Yeah, because Jim burned a lot of bridges with people. And I feel like I I got the brunt of that a lot. And so I I literally had to make amends with people and be like, I'm really sorry that this happened. And uh, yeah, so it was kind of like an apology tour afterwards. (laughs) The whole process of it was just a terrible, terrible thing. And I don't look back on it fondly, but I am grateful for the experience, if that makes sense.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I've had that foundational job too, where it's like, I learned what I needed to learn, but like, fuck that place. Yes,
0: exactly. (laughs) That's exactly right.
1: (laughs) It is so funny too. And I think it's true of any industry, but I think also like anything that's art and the way you're dealing with like storytelling, like the relationships make or break the whole thing. You know, they really do. And I think it's really sad that a lot of people don't seem to understand that.
0: I mean, and now like, Especially because there's, you know, there's that trending hashtag right now, you know, comics broke me is people's stories about how mistreated they are, how underpaid, how overworked. And I a hundred percent understand that because I was making $300 a book when I was working at image and I'm not, I didn't like want to post this or anything. And I don't know why, maybe it's just because I'd rather leave it in my past, but you know, I was making maybe $900, like, you know, a month. And I was expected to pay my rent, I was expected to do everything off of that. And he expected me to be grateful for that. He was like, I'm giving you this opportunity, you know, Uh and I'm paying your way to go to conventions, I'm paying for the hotel, I bought you a laptop. And I'm thinking to myself, you should be doing those things. Like
1: I, that's what you do in a job.
0: (laughs) I'm like, you know, and then he's like, he would give me a bonus at the end of the year, act like it was this huge generous thing. And I'm like, you realize I'm, I'm making like 15 K a year. And I was newly divorced. I was living on my own. Uh, You know, I was just like, I I had to take a part-time job like to make ends meet. And he got angry at me for that. Like Mm. he was just like, you're never around anymore. Like I can't like, you know, and it was just, I would get yelled at all the time. And like, I was pretty much like verbally abused and, you, you know, and I sit there and I think that was how many years ago? Yeah. <laughs> and people are still being treated that way. And it's, it's not cool. And like, I can't, yeah. you know, it's because it, it's freelance comics, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, if you don't do the job, someone else will. Yeah. Because, you know I, I don't know what it is about comics that like everyone is just like you can't leave it behind you know it's like once you're in it you're in it and like it's just that's it like you, you it's almost like you're an addict like you can't, you can't get out of it and once you're out of it you miss it and you want to go back it's like, yeah you
1: know? well let's 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 dive into that let's go into your childhood no uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right I mean, clearly, I mean, like you said, you went to you went to college, you were a fiction writer or fiction writer in college. You have a passion for storytelling. And so tell me a little bit about that. Like, what drew you to writing and storytelling in general before you ever landed in comics?
0: When I was in high school, I had a really great English teacher, and she did a creative writing class. her name was Mrs. Rule, and she did rule <laughs> and <laughs> See, um, I I just absolutely fell in love with writing. I just did. I just loved it so much. I had so many stories, like I felt like I wanted to tell, but um, I didn't, I wasn't doing it right. And I knew I'm and like, it was uncomfortable. They just ramble, like ramble, 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 learning to learn structure. But yeah, I decided to go in art school and I, I just remember my parents being like, okay, you know, this isn't going to make you a lot of money, right? Like, just we're going to let you do this, but just be aware of what you're doing. Yeah. And I was like, yes, I'm fully prepared to be a starving artist. To be poor. I'm <laughs> okay. And I'm like, what was I thinking? Like,
1: <laughs> What were some foundational titles of comics that made you go? Yeah, I get this. This is for me. I I want to do this.
0: Well, I <clears throat> through high school and also all through college I worked at bookstores. So I just you know was looking like the children's books are they're just so many of them and there were some that were so clever that I was just blown away. Like like they were for adults but like your kids could read them and mm-hmm. like get a good kick out of it and I just thought that was so clever and I was like man, you know, if I had that kind of wit and the the thing that I um did was I wrote a story like in college a children's story for my family and I don't know what possessed me to do it it just um as a child uh my mother had planted a a little tiny blue spruce tree outside my bedroom window she planted a bunch but it was the only one that survived as I grew up it grew and so now it like towers over the house it's huge and um I named it Bruce the little blue spruce and I had a. they gave me a, a pet rabbit when I was 11 10 I don't know somewhere in there and um and he used to sit outside underneath the blue spruce tree and it would just chill and I created this story in college about their relationship and it turned into this thing about Bruce you know wanting to be a christmas tree but he was blue, not green. And so he felt like he didn't fit in. He didn't belong. And this rabbit comes along and just loves him, like just wants to sit under him and just like things like, you're the best, like you're perfect the way you are. Like don't ever change. <laughs> and so, of course, Bruce learns to, you know, accept himself, accept his differences, like maybe I'm special then, you know, because I'm not like the others. And eventually, of course, you know, goes on to become a Christmas tree. And so Um, I wrote this story and literally my entire family was in tears. I read it at Christmas (laughs) and, uh, and of course, you know, I did, I published it and Jim drew it, um, Jim Valentino drew it. And I published it under, I, I started children's line of books at image. It was their first one ever. It was all board books. And, um, we did, um, Dear Dracula, which was our launch, which became an animation on Cartoon Network, you know, done by Josh Williamson. And we did just like just a whole bunch. I have a whole slew now. And it was really still a passion of mine. And I can't really say any one children's book influenced me to go in that direction. It was more of, um, as a whole, seeing all these clever books come out and thinking, wow, these kids don't even know that they're being taught things. Mm-hmm. you know, just enjoying the story. And, you know, I went on a whole book tour and I read it out loud to like a, a bunch of classes. And, you know, all my friends were teachers at that point. And so like, I was like going to their classrooms and every single one just really related either to the tree or the bunny. It was one or the other. And it was so fascinating to me and it brought me such joy, you know, like of of seeing these kids just, you know, even my ex-husband was like, he he would text me and say, you know, I'm reading this to my kid, and he absolutely loves it. it's his favorite book. You know, and Aww. it just yeah, I you know, it it was just the best. It was so rewarding and fulfilling. Yeah, and it, it didn't make me any money. It made me
1: no money. But <laughs> I didn't. <care. laughs>
0: yeah, it was definitely like a dream fulfilled when that happened.
1: And now you spend the rest of your career chasing that high, right? <laughs> hmm yeah, you know, but I got out of writing though, because
0: at some point it becomes less about like, I don't have anything to say anymore, you know, kind of. And instead, you have all these other writers who do have something they want to say, and they don't quite know how to get there. And so I love helping them get there. I love seeing the story and helping them develop it to its fullest potential where literally you see the lights go off in their on their face and they're like, oh my God, like, this is it. Like, you've done it. Like, this is, this is the way to go, you know? And they crack it, you know? And it's just the most amazing feeling. So it's like, almost like my dream got accomplished. Let me help you now accomplish yours, you know? So yeah. that, that's how I feel about editing. Like, basically being an editor is like, you're behind the scenes. Like, this is what you do. And so you have to be prepared for like a life of, you know, basically starting people's careers and then just acting like it's no big deal and moving on, like basically creating the industry that the fans are like a part of, you know, you're just like, that's it. Like, you know, unsung heroes here.
1: Yeah. And I hear that across the industry, you know, that's not exclusive to comics, of course, like editors absolutely are. And I remember reading really early on when I decided to become an editor, I read an article from a journalist. Uh, a journal editor and he was basically like if you saw the shit that comes across my desk that I make pretty for you and then these writers get all the credit for their great ideas yep. <laughs> it's like these bitches can't even write it's like well it's not that bad but it
0: yeah. is yeah it, <laughs> it, is, it is the be, yeah it can be I know that like I literally was like I feel like I'm not an editor on this anymore I feel like I'm a script doctor
1: Hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit, because um, I know you said you've worked on more than just comics. Um, so I'm really curious, what is kind of universal in your experience to the editor role, and what is, like, very specific to kind of what you're doing now at at IDW? Well,
0: universal, I guess, would be... Um... You mean universal like across like fiction or just like comics? Yeah,
1: just I guess just a comparison of like, in general, this is what we think of as what an editor does. And then a comics editor does that, but then also it has these other components to it.
0: I think it would have to be pacing. That's the biggest thing. Like pacing is the same across everything. Like, every, I mean, it's a different kind of pacing, but pacing is what makes or breaks any story you know, it it has to have the highs and lows. And, you know, it, it's just like, you know, a movie that's got, you know, three acts to it. It's, you know, you have to hit those points or else it just won't resonate with people. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's universal. And, you know, I, and also though, like, like, rewriting people is never advised, you know, like, I have really run into a lot of that and it's, it's never a good situation. You know, we have had to bring in writers to rewrite comics sometimes, you know, because the scopes are so bad. And then I've also on the novel side, um, you know, hired people to write novels based on, you know, an IP and have had them rewritten by the Mm. company and Never is it ever good. (laughs) Never, like, just don't do it, you know, just either scrap it and get a new writer, like, or just leave it the way it is, you know, one or the other, because it never works out the way they think it's going to work out. So,
1: is that just because when you try to bring somebody in to like work on the kernel of somebody else's idea, there just can never be like that full meshing. And so it just doesn't like work the same?
0: Like, I, you know, OK, so well, one of the instances I had was um, I I had like we were writing a Summoner's War novel, which, you know, I'm hoping it's fine to talk about this. But it was so long ago. Um, we hired Paul Jenkins, who's really well known, you know, in the comic book industry, and he's written novels. And so we wrote him, we, we gave him the Bible. He, he knows his deal. He's won awards. You know, he's a good writer and he's a good friend. And um, and he wrote he made it through three fourths of the way through and my boss who's the VP was rewriting him and it was he thought Paul wasn't writing well and it was a typical situation of like um, an executive thinking he was a creative and he didn't know structure he didn't know anything and we all had to sit there and watch it happen and Paul's like, I can't let this go to print. It's not even my writing. It's bad now, and like, they all thought it was good. Like the executive thought it was good, and I'm sitting there appalled because I'm the editor. Paul is like, that's not even me anymore, and he quit. He quit. Wow. He quit. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't even finish it. Like, like, literally gave up the rest of the money that he was going to get. Like, you know, half up front, half on the end. Absolutely not. He was like, mm. And it was, it was so bad. It was like um, a daily phone call of me talking him off the ledge. And, and I felt horrible about it. And thank God, you know, it didn't ruin our relationship, which I'm very grateful for. But I've seen that also happen in comics where it's just, um, they, it's, it's resentment, you know, and it never turns out better. Like, so it's not even a matter of like the new writer coming in and not understanding. It's, you know, it's almost like a betrayal. (laughs) where you're just like but I know how to do my job you know and if someone doesn't know how to do their job then just fire them don't do this whole fixing up script doctoring thing and I've had to do it but mostly when I say I've had to do it it's because I've had to cut down scripts that are way too long refigure the pacing and then also redo the dialogue because it was shortened and so at that point, it becomes quicker for me to do it than the writer to go back in and do it. And I never, though, did it without full consent of the writer. Like, uh, and they get, you know, they look at it and they tweak it at the end and they go, this is good to go. It's still basically me, but I understand, you know. And and so, yeah, that's, that's one of the biggies.
1: It's fascinating that you bring that up too, because I do think that um, there can be a misconception that editors editing and rewriting are like the same thing or that editors are going to rewrite your work, which is like, we don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. We don't have time to do that. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything that I'm doing is looking at whatever you've given me and saying, how can I make this the best it can be? And that's it. You know,
0: ask questions. That's what you do. You read through and you say, does this make sense? Does this, like, if this is happening here, shouldn't this be happening here? Like, right. Like that, you know, it's like you go through and you point out things that have been missed, you know, like, it doesn't make sense because you did this. There's no payoff happening when you did this. Like, where's this going? You know, and it's, you tighten things up and, you know, you just streamline things, essentially. Writers just get it all down on the page and they need help to like narrow their focus a little bit. A really good example of that is that I had a writer who, um, and the end in an arts, he was doing both who literally was like, I don't know how to cut this down It's too long. And I don't know where to cut. Like I, like yeah. help me this out and he had a scene in there and I said, okay, what's going on with this scene? And he was like, oh, well this happens and this happens and this happens. And I said, yeah, but does it serve the story? It's a cool scene, but does it serve the story? Mm-hmm. And he was like, No, I'm like then it has to go, (laughs) you know, and and that's what they pay you for, you know. Yes, choices. Yes, (laughs) everything's their baby. So
1: editing is is part um part like a writing job kind of, but like so much of it is therapy and just like (laughs) relationships and helping people work through like because they because you're so right like my favorite authors to work with are the ones who are so passionate and who actually care and are like, this is my baby. And I like need this to be out in the world and I need it to be good. And it's like, I will take care of your baby. I promise. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm not going to shred it to ribbons. So, so we, we kind of talked about the universal um, casing and like, just don't rewrite people in general. What about But you talked a little bit about in comics how you were learning about, you know, the Z and how your eyes have to move across the page. Mm -hmm. Um, But obviously, like, the biggest thing that immediately sticks out to me with comics is that you have to be thinking and writing with the images in mind. And how does that, you as the editor, like, how are you making those different elements work together?
0: Well, I have to check like I have a system because it's really hard to keep track of everything, especially when you read a script, because um, I usually require a breakdown first, which is a page to page breakdown of like one sentence that encompasses what's happening on that page. and I, I number it one through twenty two or twenty four through two. however long the issue is, I number it, and I, I ask for a breakdown of what's happening page to page. And when you get that breakdown, you can literally look at it and see the flow and so you're like okay this is the action this is the break this is the action the break the action the cliffhanger right that right there it's so easy to move things around at that point where you're just like okay like yeah okay you know what we just move this scene up and then we have this scene happening here we just do a little jiggle here and we can totally make this work from there then it has to be like okay Also, this is five panels, three panels, two panels, whatever it is, because you don't want to sit there and have five, 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 and then all of a sudden have eight. And then like, Mm -hmm. so you also have to look at that, you know, so that's why that breakdown is so important. And after I do the breakdown, then I say, okay, now we, we go into the paragraphs of what's happening on each page. And so there's a paragraph happening. And that is where I look at the panel count. I look at the paragraph and I think okay, this is how it has to go on the page. This is how it has to be drawn. This is the layout. And so then we go into thumbnails so we can see like, okay, it's going to go like this and then the aisle go back here and then the there and all of it'll happen. And so we, I mean, that goes so far as like where you actually add in the dialogue balloons too, because, you know, you don't want the artwork being covered. Sometimes it's easier if the script is written first, but other times if there's a really good collaboration between the artist and the writer, it really can, they should really be collaborating before the script is even written so that the writer knows, like, how much each character can say, like, that they have that visual instead of just writing it all and then handing it over to the artist and being like, make it work, you know, Mm -hmm. like, more of a collaboration, so. Yeah.
1: Would you say that those collaborations are the norm, or is it just kind of, like, the Wild West as people get hired on, or? It's pretty much the wild west, to be honest. Yeah.
0: And, and it's funny because it's not like screenwriting. Like everyone has their own different way of writing scripts, which is bizarre. You're constantly just like, oh my god, okay, this is a new format. Like, okay, you know, like oh, they interesting. And, uh, like, yeah. Some it's just really bizarre. Like some of them. Like I used to be a certain way of like, oh my god, like I I need this in a certain format. Like it has to be the panel description. And then you indent and you do the dialogue and you number it so that the letterer knows what's what, you know? (laughs) So, you you know, I have a certain way to do it, but then other people, they just go, they just do whatever. And I'm just like, you know, and you just have to figure it out. So yeah, yeah. at a certain
1: point, if you can't fight to get people in the same system, then it's just, yeah.
0: And there's no like comic book writing script program like there is, you know, for streaming.
1: I am curious if you have any recommendations for titles if anybody's interested in getting into comics in general or get interested in looking at things that maybe you've been working on do you have anything you'd recommend
0: sure yeah there are a bunch of original titles that um since I do collections I kind of have my fingers on everything over at IDW so from licensed to original properties and I have to say um there's a new one coming out called uh The Hunger in the Dusk which is by um, G Willow Wilson and uh, written by her. And it's so fun. It is a fantasy book and we are hashtagging it hot work summer. And it is Hot work summer work summer. And awesome. it, is, it is the best. And she created it during the pandemic and it was um, like a labor of love. And it it shows, it shows. And Um, Aside from that, I think what I really appreciate is uh, Scott Snyder's Wildfire series, because um, it's really funny. I had this, this is funny, because when I was interviewing at IDW, I was interviewing with Mark Doyle. And at the time, you know, he was executive editor for originals, and now he's co-publisher. But um, I got on the call with him, and he was like, oh, so like, what's your vision, you know, for comics? And I said, you know what, I think the issue is, I think when I was at image it was always like oh all these books are failing and so what we're going to do is we're going to flip and we're going to take all these known creators and bring them in and so then they're going to sell um but now they've overcorrected, and so now you can't get in if you're just a person trying to break in it's all known people and so you're basically buried if if you're like a newbie And I said, there needs to be a middle ground where like you have an own creator and an unknown. There needs to be like a pairing so that you can give these unknowns a leg up. And that otherwise the industry is just gonna keep closing in on itself, you know, and you're just gonna have all these high paid people, you know, that sure they sell, but like how's, where's the industry gonna go? And so um, he was like, I absolutely agree with that, you know, and little did I know that, he was literally developing that with Scott Snyder. And so Wildfire is basically a series of um, their arcs. And he and Scott wrote the first one with Hayden Sherman, who was a fantastic new artist. And then essentially, that's what he's doing is he is pairing the next stories with known and unknown, known and unknown. And he's he's doing it for to get new talent, to, to discover new talent and break them in. And I'm like, that's fantastic. That's exactly what I would want, you know? And that's yeah. why ADW is because I'm like, ah, you guys get it. You get it. Like, like everything is just like, ah, everybody gets along so well and it's just amazing. And so I would recommend those two original books.
1: That's so cool. And it's interesting that, that, that is a solution to a problem that I think the entire comic or the entire publishing industry has where it's very much dominated by these known names and Mm -hmm. it's almost impossible for unknowns to break in and unfortunately there isn't really a similar kind of solution I feel like for novelist writers because it's not collaborative in the way that comics are so yeah um it's I mean there could
0: be there could be like you could percent do an excerpt in the back of someone else's book like a couple of authors from a newbie that like you know that author really wants to support Mm. like a story maybe you know an epilogue or or something could be done
1: i've seen like anthologies like fantasy or sci-fi anthologies will do that sometimes they'll have kind of a mix but even those a lot of times they solicit from more known authors than like unknown ones unfortunately yeah but i do i do think that is um problem that every creative industry deals with a lot of how do you bring in the new blood when you're trying to make money and they're not going to make money?
0: It's it's marketing as well. Um, and I think that one of the bigger mistakes that companies tend to make is that they market the names. And it's like, well, the names don't really need to be marketed because they're names. And so sure, some marketing should go into it, but the majority should go into the ones that aren't. Which is also something that IDW recognized. And like when they were restructuring, they were looking at things and they're saying, all that's getting marketed was the easy ones, the ones that were lost, Mm -hmm. like where it's just like, oh, everybody knows Scott Snyder, it's going to be fine, you know? But like, what about these other ones, like Catfight, for instance, like where it's like these two, you know, lesser known creators, but yet they're known in like the LBGTQ community and they've won awards. But, like, no one knows that because it wasn't marketed. Why isn't this being marketed? And it was because, like, marketing doesn't think that way. You know, they're just like, oh, this is easy. So, you know, we're going to push the names, push the names. No one's going to buy this anyway. So, but it's like, then why did we accept it? Why why are we doing it? You know, we have to back what we think is good. We have to, you know, throw all the money behind it. Like, there's no other reason not to, like... (laughs) You know? Why are we doing this at all? Yeah. We this if we're not going to back it and everything we do, we believe in. It's not like we're putting out crap, you know, it's not like, right. Yeah.
1: Well, if you are open to it, Chris, I'd love to play um, a quick little game with you here. Mm-hmm. Um, so we play a game called name that book. And I have um, some prompts here that I'm just going to put it into our randomizer spinner. And then you just kind of name the first book that comes to your mind in response to the prompt and it can be a comic book it can be a novel it can be a short story whatever whatever you feel fits the prompt accurately i have to get some kind of randomizer i meant to bring in a die and i don't know where my die went it rolled away somewhere i'm nervous (laughs) don't be nervous if it's bad i will cut it out (laughs) start four okay number four Name a book that changed your mind about something.
0: Uh, Strangers in Paradise, the comic book series written by Terry Moore. It was the book that I picked up um, when I wasn't reading comics and it changed my life. It it totally set me on the trajectory to get into comics. Uh, Strangers in Paradise is about um, two best friends, Francine and Kachou and, um, Kachu is in love with Francine but Francine is straight and Kachu is also just happens to be an assassin and it it was like a slice of life mixed with adventure and I fell in love with it and tried to get everything I could by Terry Moore when I like I I just absolutely adored that series and volume after volume after volume came out and I, I just ate it up. I ate it up and it got me into comics. It it literally, I was like, I didn't know comics could be this way. You know, I thought it was all just superhero stuff and, mm-hmm. and totally changed my, my life on that. And then I got to meet him and I was like, oh my God, he's even nicer in person. Even better.
1: <laughs> yeah. What was, was it the story? Was it the artwork? Was it everything together? It was
0: both because Francine was drawn incredibly realistically. You know, she was kind of chunky. She wasn't like, you know, she had a little double chin going on and she was this beautiful blonde. I even have original artwork on the wall that I got because I was like, so like, ugh. And she was this, you know, fantastic assassin and she just loved this ordinary girl. She just loved her, just, you know, and it was just like, oh God, it was such a love story and I, oh my God. Yeah, it was beautiful.
1: our show. If you find yourself hungering for a hot orc summer, you can check out The Hunger in the Dusk, Wildfire, and more of Chris's collections on idwpublishing.com. I'll also put some links in the show notes. As always, if you're looking for editing services, reach out to me on my website midright.com, or you can find me on Instagram at midrightworlds. That's M-I-D-W-R-I-T-E. If you have any ideas for guests or topics you'd like to see on the show, send them my way at fredabuddiespod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate and review, and I'll see you next time.